Everybody, uh, so good to see you guys. Welcome to Joy Church. What a great time to be together. We had a great time of worship this morning, and tonight we're going to be gathered here again at 6 p.m. for Upper Room for prayer and worship. Excited about that. We are in a series called Legacy, talking about that if you want to leave a legacy, you have to live for it today. What you want to see in the future, you have to begin to uh, put some hands and feet to it in the now. And uh, we'll get to that in just a minute. Before we do that, I announced last week uh, what we're doing called Legacy Offering. We're receiving an offering on December 11th, kind of from now until that point. And this is above our regular tithes and offerings. And we're just, as a church, saying, God, you've blessed us. You've poured into our lives. It's our delight and our privilege to be generous to uh, build a legacy around the world and also in our local community. So I'm not going to go into great detail today about what that offering is going to go to. But if you go back to last week... I gave an in-depth kind of description with our legacy fund. What we do is we choose projects, uh, global projects to give to, churches uh, uh, on the mission field and projects for church planting and things like that. I think we have them up here, global. And then the local legacy is where we invest here in our community uh, for some of the things both in our church within, but also without, like Eugene Mission and serving with uh, Project Hope and Cottages of Hope, Dove Medical, some of these different things. So we take this legacy fund and this money is earmarked to go and, and bless outside of our four walls uh, projects, both globally and locally. I wanted to highlight something today. I mentioned last week that we have a sister church in Romania, in Oradia, Romania. Uh, I got a, a message from Pastor Ted Chichui, my dear friend there, recently. He said, hey, with the war in the Ukraine, uh, our energy costs have gone up over 1,000%. And this past year, they were able to pay their bills, but he said, we can't do it again. So we're still going to worship Jesus. We might just be cold. Uh, and I'm like, nah, we don't like that, Ted. But he said, hey, we actually have a plan. Uh, we need $10,000. And with $10,000, we could put solar panels on the roof of our building and bring our energy costs down to a level where we can continue to operate the church building. So we went to our elders and said, hey, uh, the Lord you know, gave us this, these resources through legacy and, and the giving of our church. You know, Can we meet this need? And so... Joy Church, we, we put these uh, solar panels on the church in Romania. Yeah. Now, funny enough, they didn't ask me to come personally install them. Uh, they were like, we'll, we'll, we'll take care of it. You send the check, we'll, we'll get the workmen to come. And they didn't want my skills, Carl. Can you believe it? I, I know. They, they were like, we, we're good. You just stay there and keep talking, preacher. We'll go ahead and put these, uh, put these on. But this is just one tiny example of a really awesome um, outreach for, from us as a church, just the generosity of all of us together, you know, giving and out of our, the abundance of what God has given to us, we're, we're giving out and we're able to meet a very practical, tangible need. This church is uh, helping with refugees from the Ukraine. Uh, they are a tremendous ministry there in Oradia. Um, I've, I've been on a several missions trips there and uh, it's a great place to go. Every Romanian is absolutely beautiful, and some of them are vampires. You know, it's just how it goes. Uh, no, th these are our, our dear friends, so we're so blessed to be a blessing to them. Amen. Anyways, with the legacy offering, the uh, steps for that, two, two steps that I want to ask you to do, or three. The first one is this. Just take 5, 10, 15 minutes and talk to Jesus and ask him, Lord, what would you like me to give? Um, we, we, we don't want, this is, a, this is not like a, an offering that's, hey, we have this need and if we don't give, the church closes down. Not at all. This is a, out of the abundance of what God has done in us, we, we, we are blessed to be 
recipients of God's blessing and we're, we're giving it away. And so you just ask the Lord. Uh, no compulsion to that. Just pray, talk to the Lord and say, what would you have me give? Um, then number two, talk to your spouse, talk to your family, just kind of bounce it off them. I think it's important in married couples that you have some unity. Bethany and I had a kitchen conversation about what we want to give and what we're hearing from the Lord. And she said 50,000. And I said, I rebuke you, Jesus. I rebuke you, Satan, in Jesus' name. No, I'm just kidding. We, um, we, we talk about those things because it's important to be unified uh, around that topic of, of giving. And again, if your spouse isn't walking in unity with you, like pray together and have that, that time. And then third, when you really feel the Lord has put something on your heart that you do want to give to the Legacy Fund, you can go to joyeugene.com slash give. And in the drop down menu, it says Legacy. And I think if you can use the internet, you can figure that out. And if you can't use the internet, you can write a check and put it in an envelope and write legacy on there. And if you can't do that, we have carrier pigeons in the, in the uh, parking lot. And I used that joke last week, so it's already old. But anyways, that's going to be a blessing both globally and locally. All right, guys, we're jumping in today to our series called Legacy. Legacy is this, something passed on from one generation to another. And we see biblically that God is a God of generations. He is called in, calls himself in the Old Testament the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. I believe God's faithfulness and his story cannot be contained in one generation. God's story unfolding in the Schmelzer family is not just Jake and Bethany. It's Jake and Bethany, and then Evelyn, Jack, and Penelope, and then their children, and then their children. God is a God of generations. And so God's people are generational thinkers. God's people don't just think about having our needs met in the, in the right now moment, but we lay foundations and we build and we, we invest in things that we aren't even going to see the full fulfillment of even in our lifetimes. You know, it is, the, it is our privilege as the generation that God called to invest and create this space for worship and a place for people to come and find family and find a place at the table of the Lord and a place at Joy Group and all that. It is our privilege in this generation to give the millions of dollars that we've given as a church to get into this space. Come on, thank God for that opportunity, right? And that's so that your children and their children can inherit this legacy, inherit this physical space, which really isn't even as meaningful as the spiritual legacy that we want to pass on to our children. A life of serving and loving the Lord and, and letting God's work in our heart go down deep and, and build a treasure in us that we leave to our children. And so we want to leave a legacy. But here's the deal with legacy. You can't leave a legacy unless you live for legacy. You know, what you want to see happen in the future has to start today. The spiritual legacy of faith that we want to leave to our children and generations to come, and even our children's children and beyond, it starts with faithfulness and love of Jesus and fervency in our right now, okay? And this is this kind of language and this kind of Talking is really different than our culture because we live in a microwave moment culture. I want, I want it now. I want it my way. I want things to be quick, right? And we all like that, don't we? You know, nobody wants to, it, in marketing, they say that it's much easier to sell the cure than it is to sell prevention, right? In other words, it's easy to sell ibuprofen because that makes your headache go away. And praise God for ibuprofen. Come on. How many of us Duck fans needed like a whole bottle of that last night? Come on, somebody. <laughs> You know, you needed that, that it's nice to have a quick fix, but prevention is even more important. And uh, legacy thinkers think about creating foundations and investing in the now, not just having all of our needs met right away, but for future generations. You have to live for legacy today if you're going to leave a legacy. Amen? 
So today we're talking about a legacy of faith. And we did a, a child dedication this morning, and really this entire message is for you, families that came and stood here. But it wasn't ju- it's not just for the families that stood here and dedicated their children. It's for all of us, whether you are a natural parent or whether you are a spiritual parent. And we'll talk about what, the, what that means and why all of us have something to gain today. One of the things that Bethany and I hear quite frequently as a cry from the heart of parents is that their children would not turn away from the Lord. How many of you that have children want to see your kids love Jesus, you know, and that their faith would go beyond just sort of when, when they're in your home? How many of you would say, yes, I want that? And how many of you would also say that you would like to see your life make an, be, make an impact and influence others to keep their faith in Christ, even if they're not your natural children, right? That we want someone to be able to say, man, when I think about Jake, when I think about Bethany, when I think about someone, I, I, I want to love Jesus because of how they are. There's people in my life that were not my natural parents, but spiritual parents whose legacy of faith and their faithfulness as they lived out their day-to-day life caused me to say, I want to vote for God in my life continually. Even people that have gone to, to heaven and, and, and left, people like Leonard Fox. I remember being in Bible college and old man Fox, you know, he was, he was sitting at the table and he said, young man, he had like a real gravelly voice and he had the weirdest looking nose I've ever seen. And he, he was like, young man, let me tell you how to go the distance in ministry. And we're all like, okay, little young Bible college students. He said, the three G's, don't touch the gold, don't touch the girls, and don't touch God's glory, <laughs> you know? And we're like, amen. How many of you think preachers could do well with that, right? Yeah, in, in modern vernacular, so like keep your hands on your own boo. You know what I'm saying? Like you just keep your hands to yourself. And, uh, but all joking aside, there was an imprint of faithfulness and legacy from a spiritual father. So today we're going to talk about how to live for and leave a legacy of faith. I believe today God's going to do something really powerful. Um, we're going to download a bunch of truth. But I don't want this to just be a head message. I want it to sink down into your heart. Because I believe today what the Holy Spirit's going to do for you, that, for those that are parents, is he's going to take away the fear that, that we, a lot of us face as parents that our children are not going to walk with the Lord. And he's going to put in its place faith uh, because you're going to have truth matched with actions to take to see your children walk with the Lord and to see your life be a legacy-creating life when it comes to faith. Amen. So let's jump in to the Word of God today. 2 Timothy chapter 1, this is... Paul the Apostle, writing an epistle to a spiritual son in the faith, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And you might be wondering why I read you that whole preamble, that whole introduction, because it matters, and I'll explain why in a second. I thank God whom I serve, as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience as night and day. I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. This relationship here is, is near and dear. This is an intimate relationship between a spiritual father and a son. Uh, he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Let me give you three thoughts about this passage, and I'll give you some practical steps. The first thought is this, that we need to lean in and listen to the language of legacy that we see here. 
Because again, God is a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is a generational God. He thinks in generations. Which means if you only view your life through the lens of what happened in my lifetime, you will, you will probably find God to be lacking in what you assume he was supposed to do for you. And yet we believe and we know that God is a covenant-keeping God. God is a promise-keeping God. God is a faithful God. But he's a God of generations, which means the story of his faithfulness to me is not just the story of his faithfulness in my lifetime, but through my lifetime and to my generations to come. And therefore, when we read scripture, we need to see the language of legacy and how God thinks. You know, today, I would rather that you begin to think a little bit different rather than just learn a few practical takeaways. Okay, it's the difference between somebody giving you the answers to a test versus teaching you how to think so you can always get the answers to the test right. And when we look at scripture, we need to see and look for the language of legacy, the language of generations. And we see it right here in 2 Timothy, which teaches us that Paul thought this way, Timothy thought this way, and the pattern that they laid as they built the church and raised up the church that was, this is thousands of years ago and it still continues today. So somebody who was laying foundations was doing a good job. This language of legacy is here. First, Paul is a spiritual father. He's not Timothy's natural father. We, we, we don't know who Timothy's natural father is. He's not really mentioned in Scripture. I think he was a Gentile or a Greek. We see his grandmother and his mother. But Paul is Timothy's spiritual father. But there's intimacy. There's real relationship here. This is not a fake father-to-son relationship. He calls him dear son. He says, I'm reminded of your tears. Like they, they loved each other. There was a real relationship here. I want to say, maybe right now you don't have natural kids. Maybe you don't want natural kids. Maybe you saw all these families up here and all they look so tired and, you know, <laughs> so hard to get your kids to church. I'm just having fun. You see Bethany and I and you see all the, the new gray hairs we have every week as we raise three kids, you know, and uh, I'm just teasing. But And maybe you don't have kids right now. Maybe you don't plan to have kids, but don't miss this message because It is just as much for you. You are called to be a spiritual father or a spiritual mother, and that's not less. See, in the kingdom of God, God is our father. He brings us out of solitude into family. We are the family of God, and there are a lot of teachers. There are a lot of philosophers, but as the scriptures say, there are not many fathers, not many mothers, and God has called us to to elevate uh, our, our perspective of what it means to be a disciple maker to this level of a father or a mother. Paul is a spiritual father, calls Timothy, my dear son. He mentions this, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, generations, even in the Godhead, there is father and son relationship there. This is legacy language. Paul then reflects back to the faith of his ancestors. And this is a meaningful line because what he's saying here is this is not new. This is not some new thing. And now we're, here's the church and here we are and everything else before was just garbage. No, Paul reflects back to the faith of his ancestors, seeing himself as the inheritor of legacy who's now passing on legacy, okay? Hopefully this is shaping how you begin to think about Scripture. Paul is reminded of Timothy's sincere faith. He says, I remember your sincere faith that you first received from your mother and your grandmother. This is inherited faith, and I want you to remember that word, inherited And then Paul reminds Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God, which Paul was the one who bestowed upon him as he laid his hands on him. Again, this is legacy. And so we see layers and levels of legacy thinking woven into this passage of Scripture, just this first little part here. Why? Because this is how God thinks. This is how God operates. This is how his faithful disciple makers and his spiritual fathers and mothers and how families ought to operate is with legacy 
thinking. So listen to the legacy of, or listen to the language of legacy here. The second thought I want to give you about this passage is this, that Timothy's faith was inherited, then activated. And this is going to be a big thought for, for a lot of people. Timothy's faith was first inherited, then it was activated. You know, we often make a really big deal about children and young people needing to choose their own faith. But biblically, we see that faith in Christ is actually a legacy that you can pass on to your children. And I'm going to give a lot more clarity about that and some practical things. But anecdotally, you know, Bethany and I have been in youth, we're we're in youth ministry and young adult ministry. We still are because we're pastors and we we pastor the youth and young adults here too. We We don't ignore them. We love them, right? But, um, in youth ministry, one of the things that would really frustrate us is we'd have parents come to us and they'd be like, you know, I got little Jimmy here and little Jimmy's smoking weed and watching porn and he won't get off the Xbox and I can't get him to listen. And like, they wanted us to do something about it. And we're like, okay, hold on, let me get the holy water and we'll make that all go away. You know what I mean? Like, what are we supposed to do, right? Uh, we're, we're, I remember being 19 years old, you know, doing young adult ministry and I'm like, well, I have all the same issues as the stuff that you're, you're dealing with, you know? But in all seriousness, we would get kind of grieved because parents would give, have this idea like, well, they're just going to serve the devil and just kind of like go wild for, for 10, 20, 30 years. And then hopefully someday when they get out of rehab, they'll come back to Jesus. And I have plenty of hair so I could pull it out. You know what I mean? And like, no, what do you, what do you mean? No, well, we have this wrong headed idea that you as parents have zero empowerment or place to actually shape the direction of your children's destiny. And there's this like crazy thing that happens at homes, you know, like Bethany and I, we pay the mortgage. Evelyn doesn't pay it. Jack doesn't pay it. Penny doesn't pay it. You know who doesn't buy groceries? They don't. We do. So if my kids like that habit of, you know, sleeping indoors and eating food, my house, my rules. And like Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, I want you to catch the spirit of this. It's not in some weird curmudgeonly like, we're going to serve Jesus. But the kids are like, that sucks and I hate it and I don't want to go to church because you've created some like hostility about it. No, it's that there's inside of us this spiritual commitment to say, because God has positioned us and placed us in this place of authority and we are in the empowered pole position here, in the home, it is our right and responsibility to shape the spiritual trajectory and direction and establish the legacy of faith for our children. They will inherit our faith until they then get to the place where out of their own volition they can choose it, but we're not just giving it up and surrendering it to the devil. We're not punting it on first down. Hello. How many Christian parents are like, yeah, kids are going to go to school, they're going to learn about gender identity, how to put a condom on a banana, they're going to learn about why the environment is the biggest issue, and you haven't taught them one time that Jesus died for their sins, and you expect that you're going to come to church and for 10 minutes on a Sunday that they're going to get a message and that's going to shape them? I'm preaching good right now. You're not amen and at the level that you need to hear. You leave me all up here hanging as I say these extreme things. I'm teasing. You are empowered to lead and direct your children, and that faith that is in you, like Timothy's faith, was inherited And then Paul says, now I remind you to fan it into flames. I gave you a gift when I laid my hands on you. It's inherited, then activated. So here's the deal. Jack and Evie and Penelope are drafting Bethany and I as we ride our bike as fast as we can for Jesus. 
and they're right behind and they don't have to deal with all the crud and the garbage that comes in this world. They can draft right behind us and experience God's goodness and hear the gospel and grow up in a community with you guys that can inspire them and and encourage their prophetic destiny and vice versa. And that legacy of faith that we provide to them is like a feast that they get to come and eat every single Sunday. And then when they're at an age and a place where the Holy Spirit comes to them in that direct way and calls them to repentance and faith, they can choose it. But it's not like this new thing. It's embracing this legacy that didn't even start with their parents or their grandparents or the people in the church. It goes back thousands of years. It goes back all the way to Abraham. It goes back all the way to Isaac. It goes back all the way to Jacob. It goes back, back, back because it's legacy. So Timothy's faith, I'm out of breath because I'm in Pentecostal. (laughs) Timothy's faith was inherited, then activated. So guys, we can't neglect to raise our kids in the faith. Don't be... Don't buy the lie. Don't believe the lie that says you have no influence to, sh- to speak to your children about what is right and wrong, to speak to them about good and evil, to speak to them about truth and lies. We live in a world where nobody, everybody acts like these are all really hard questions that we have to answer. They're not hard questions. These are easy questions. What they require is courage. Yeah. Easy questions. Four plus four is eight. There are men, there are women. These aren't difficult questions. They just require courage. There is truth. There is falsehood. There is good. There is evil. Let me help you to understand the difference, son and my dear daughters. I am your parent, and I will take the brunt of the confusion and the battle that is, that is being fought. But we will serve the Lord, and I will share God's goodness with you as we journey. Does that mean that God has grandkids and people are just born into the faith? No, they have to choose Christ for themselves, but... Give them the opportunity to do that from a place of advantage. That's legacy. That's heritage. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. In other words, don't be a jerk, religious or otherwise. We heard about a family who, you know, this dad and this mom, they were like forcing their kids to go knocking on doors. And kids, you know, you could see they hated it. It was this ridiculous thing. And I thought, man, those people thinking they're doing something for God are destroying their kids. Like, don't do weird stuff out of religious guilt. get your kids in a safe, awesome, exciting, fun place, church, get planted and grow. Now, I'm 100% biased that Joy Church is the place to be. But if this isn't where God has called your family, then go to the church that you're going to go to and literally invest your life there. Be a giver, be generous, be all in, be a servant, like go for it because your kids are going to be blessed through that. Fathers, bring your children up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Okay, thought number three. The legacy of faith is passed through both natural and spiritual family. So Timothy, we see, has this natural family, Lois and Eunice, mother and grandmother, and they pass this faith to him. But then he also has a spiritual father, Paul. Um, and, and they're both meaningful. And what's fascinating about this is that we see the inheritance of faith comes more through the natural, but the, late, but, the, but the activation of faith comes more through the spiritual. And this is why you need both and why it matters. So even if you're here today and you go, well, I don't have kids, you can activate people's faith. You can pass on an inheritance. Like you matter as a spiritual parent, just like Paul to Timothy. We see that Paul and Timothy take this legacy way of thinking and they model it for years to come, this pattern of discipleship. In 1 Corinthians 4, Paul is now writing to a church that he has planted and is the spiritual father and apostle to in the city of Corinth. 
He says, I'm not writing these things to shame you, but to warn you as my beloved children. He doesn't call them you people or the congregation. It's my children. This is legacy and family. He says, for even if you had 10,000 others to teach you about Christ, you have only one spiritual father. For I became your father in Christ Jesus when I preached the good news to you. How do you become a legacy starter? You preach the gospel. Uh, God gives you fruit out of your faithfulness to preach the gospel and to share God's love and share God's truth. Paul is the spiritual father of this church in this city. He says, so I urge you to imitate me. And then he says in verse 17, that's why I have sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you of how I follow Christ Jesus, just as I teach in all the churches wherever I go. I love that the apostles were about family and about legacy and about life-on-life discipleship that results in movement. You see, it's not just like, oh, the church just hears my, my live stream message. No, Paul says, I'm a father. You were born to me because I preached the gospel to you, but I also have a son, Timothy, and he's going to come and encourage you. And the gospel and discipleship rolls along these relational lines. And so spiritual fathers and mothers are, are so necessary. Legacy passes through both natural and spiritual family. Again, I had natural parents that raised me in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I'm grateful for that. I recognize many did not. And that's why spiritual family matters. Because in this house, there are many that are, that when I say many, I mean all. Let me rephrase it. All of us are called to be parents in this spiritual, uh, passing on the spiritual legacy. All right, let's get practical. I want to give you three thoughts today about how to live a legacy of faith. Number one, do the simple stuff over and over again. Do the simple stuff. Now, whether or not grown children, you know, kids, teens, young adults, and then moving on into adulthood, whether or not they stick as followers of Jesus Christ and then the level of which they stick and how active they are as followers of Jesus is not a mystery to us. In fact, there are many studies and there's a lot of research going back many, many years. I actually did my master's thesis on this topic, you know, researching what causes young people to stick in, uh, in church and to stick in their faith because there was a, a time in, uh, where there was a great fear amongst Christians where all these young people are going off to college and then their faith would just like completely collapse. And it was kind of like, it's a mystery. You know, we didn't know what was going on. And so a lot of research has been done on this. So I'm excited to share some of this with you because it's really cool. It's really cool. And I hope it builds a lot of faith in you and you feel empowered as a parent uh, to, to see your kids remain in the faith. Research shows that grown children are much more likely to have Christian faith and practice their faith as adults if their parents, okay, let's now fill in the blanks, if their parents do these things, if their parents talked about their faith and lived it out at home, like if they prayed together, read the Bible together, acknowledged Jesus in their everyday life. So if you as a parent allowed Jesus to be woven into the fabric of your world, okay, that instantly gives you a massive advantage. It's like you put uh, a booster on the, the likelihood that your children will continue in the faith. This is just a simple thing. Now, Bethany and I, we don't do like family devotions with our kids. We kind of do somewhat. I mean, we'll, I'm going to probably start doing uh, catechism with our children, which you're probably like, what the heck is that? I don't know yet. I'm going to look into it. But anyways, <laughs> no, it's like a confession, you know, teaching them truths and doctrine and things like that. Um, but but we, we don't necessarily have a formalized process of sitting down, reading the Bible together as a family. All of us are probably a little too ADD for that. 
Um, what our children do have, though, is that Bethany and I are just Jesus people all the time. Um, and that doesn't mean we're super spiritual. What it means is when we stub our toe, we pray. You know, when we, uh, maybe we cuss first, then we pray and ask for forgiveness and then healing. No, I'm just teasing. But they see us as we struggle with life, that we, we acknowledge the Lord in our day-to-day living. We pray about things. We talk about forgiveness. We talk about God's word. We examine what happens in our lives and in the world around us through the lens of what does God's word say? What, would, what does God say to this? When our children have a conflict, we talk about loving one another. Christ is inside of our home and he's not like a statue on the, the, the shelf or a dusty Bible on the table. He is alive like as a real person, which he is incidentally, in our home. Are you with me? So this is what it means. Like Christ is in your home. And as adults and as parents, you're, you're talking about your faith. You're living it out at home. Whether you have a formalized process of reading the Bible together or not, uh, we can talk about the, the pros and cons of that, but, but he's there. Um, another one is that the parents consistently go to church and they make it a priority. And listen, um, I love that you're here on Sunday, and yes, I'm glad we have more people than less. You know, as a pastor, I suppose you could say I have a vested interest in wanting to see more people, but, but just like heart to heart, father to, to father, parent to parent, consistently going to church sends the loudest signal that you could ever send to the hearts and minds of your children that God's house, God's people, and this community is meaningful and that it matters to, to be consistent in your life. And so many parents want to be inconsistent in something as basic as their participation and attendance and membership in church, and then they want to see a consistent faith in their children when the storms come. Here's the thing about storms. You don't build foundations in the seawall when the storm is upon you. You build it in the blue sky days. And so like on the Sunday after the ducks suffer a gut-wrenching loss and our entire season goes down in flames, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> so many of us men are repenting of what we said <laughs> in those moments. This morning, Bethany and I, were not down in the dumps about God's house. We're excited to go to the house of the Lord with joy, the consistency of every, every Sunday. Like my parents growing up, it was, hey, we go to church. We even went to church on vacation. And some people were like, well, that's a little extreme. But you know what? I'm grateful because what it embedded in me is a habit of life that keeps me when my, my desires sometimes drift, my disciplines remain. All right. So consistently go to church, make it a priority, not fake, not religious, like you actually believe in a real ecclesiology, the theology of the church, that we are saved out of isolation into family and that your participation in church matters. You believe when... The scripture says that we are living stones which God is taking and making, building the spiritual temple. But a lot of living stones are always running away. A lot of those little bricks that God's trying to build into his house are running away because they have something better to do on a Sunday. Let me just tell you right now, you don't. And I don't mean like, and I'm saying this, if you don't go to Joy Church, like if you're going to go to First Baptist, go be there every Sunday. So this isn't me trying to like build our thing here uh, this is me trying to build you as a pastor, as somebody who has a spiritual responsibility to warn and exhort and teach, encourage, okay? So consistent church attendance, huge, huge, huge marker of seeing kids remain in the faith. Then your activity level, so parents that serve, volunteer, and lead in the church. This is another massive indicator. When a parent is invested, involved, they're active in their congregation, they're serving, they're, they're embracing the mission of the church, 
the children follow in their footsteps and their activity level later in life tends to match what their parents demonstrated to them. Pretty amazing. I believe this, that we completely underestimate the influence and impact of repeated behavior. So again, this point is this, do the simple stuff over and over again. You don't have to be a biblical scholar. You don't have to be the most spiritually minded person. You don't know how to pronounce any words in Hebrew or Greek. Showing up on Sunday sends the loudest radar ping to your children's destiny that you can do. Being, uh, being a person who invites Jesus into your everyday life, it sends this amazing signal to your kids, and it's powerful. If you want natural and spiritual children who love Jesus, simply give them someone to follow. That's why we say take the journey and take someone with you. Paul says, I am a father to Timothy. Imitate me. Follow me as I follow Christ. That's what we're doing. We follow him imperfectly. We follow him inconsistently at times. But thank God for his faithfulness. But the signals that we send to our kids, these simple things, the repeated behaviors are more powerful than even being eloquent and and in the way that you speak to them or persuasive or whatever. That will send the loudest signal. Number two, be real. Be the same at home as you are at church. Dale Hudson said this, kids who grow up to follow Jesus as adults have parents who live authentically. Simply put, their parents are the real deal. They practice what they preach. They live at home just like they live at church. This doesn't mean the parents are perfect. They make mistakes along the way, but when they do, they humbly admit it and seek forgiveness. Kids can sniff out hypocrisy. Amen? And when they know what their parents are saying doesn't match up with what they are doing, it damages their faith, and they become disillusioned with following Jesus. Kids don't always do what their parents say, but they never fail to imitate who they really are. I'm going to say it this way. Character is contagious. And if you remember that, you'll be a great parent or a bad one because character is contagious, right? So Bethany and I understand that when we fail, we have to make sure and correct the mold. So like when dad, you know, gets angry or when I, you know, do something wrong or I'm, you know, disciplining the kids and I didn't know the whole story and I was rushing or whatever, we will stop. Or Bethany will do the same thing. We'll stop. Hey, I'm sorry. I was wrong. You know, here's what's right. And we correct the pattern. But we understand that it's not, it's not even our words that are going to shape our kids' character. It's our character that is demonstrated every single day. And that's where authenticity and reality as followers of Christ is so valuable. It's not, nobody's going to be perfect, but you can be consistent. My parents, you know, growing up were pastors. They are pastors. Um, but I saw them struggle, you know, a lot with fear, their own failures, their own self-doubt. Uh, through it all, my parents pointed me to Jesus, but they were real. That, that's like probably the biggest thing why I love the church, even though as a, as a family, we went through a lot of hard things. You know, when I was eight years old, uh, our church in Medford, my, my dad says he loved Joy Church Medford so much, he had to plant it twice because it was a 200-member church in 1992, and in three easy weeks, it was down to 30 people, because we had a church split, and everybody was mad at my dad, and, you know, cursing him, whatever, and and all this kind of stuff, and so we had a lot of hurt. All of my friends left, that, you know, going from a church of a few hundred people down to 30, a lot of people that you like and love and know were gone, right, and they didn't go there anymore, and that was painful, and I remember one night, my, my, I knew my parents were suffering. I was suffering. My dad comes in my room, He's praying for me, you know, before bed, and he says, hey, Jake, um, uh, people are mad at daddy. You know that? Yeah. You know, are you mad at daddy? No. 
And uh, he said, hey, I know you have a lot of friends that are gone, and Mom and I know that that hurts, and we're sorry. But it's not your fault, and, you know, we're going to keep doing what God's called us to do. And, you know, kind of gave me a little bit of lowdown. And, and, and he said, are, you know, everything's going to be okay. We're in this together. Yeah. And we prayed. And I love that because I, as an adult, I look back, and what he was doing was he was not shielding me from the reality of walking with the Lord but what he also wasn't doing is putting a poison in my spirit to hate the people of God and the church that my destiny was to serve. Because if you despise God's house and God's people, because every time you get a boo-boo in church, you know, you're cursing the church and this church sucks and I'm going across town, what you're doing to your children is you're telling them family is conditional and it's about how things feel, not about what is true and right and where we're to be planted and called in prophetic destiny. And so if you're not a legacy thinker, you won't be able to do that. But my dad was real. He invited me into the place of pain so I could actually find a place of healing. And, and, and it, was, it was awesome. And, and we'd laugh about stuff and joke about stuff. And we'd talk about church and talk about stories in church and all this kind of stuff. But there was reality to our walk of faith as a family. So as a parent, you don't have to be perfect. You do need to be real. Three, and how many of you just appreciate people that are just authentic to who they are, you know? Yeah, like that's, we all like that because we can all sniff out hypocrisy. Um, number three, last but certainly not least, let the gospel saturate your life. Now this point is kind of a combo of the first two, but I'm going to give a little added emphasis because there's so much power in just going all in on Jesus and letting the gospel message soak into every place, nook and cranny of your life where nothing is off limits to the Lord and you, you really are like all in as a Christian and you're not holding back in your walk of faith. See, I think a hesitant Christian walk and a, a hedged Christian walk where we sort of straddle living our life for and in Christ and sort of living our life for ourselves in the world, um, what that tells our children is that that is the pattern they should emulate, that Jesus is not to be trusted with all that he's not to be invited into every room of your house. And what we end up with is children that maybe grow up in church and when they're faced with the reality of life, have a faith that is not equipped to deal with all of the rooms of life because Jesus wasn't invited into those rooms. And so we have generation that is broken in their way to think about sex and sexuality and gender and all identity and all these kinds of questions. And in the church, people, we're all clutching our pearls and we're so scared of these questions because we haven't let Jesus invade the dark places of our own struggle of faith and walk with the Lord. And so we want to invite, and there's many, many, many more examples of this, but how many of you know that's going on? This, this is something where when we let the gospel saturate to the nooks and crannies, it, it creates a great legacy of faith. It's powerful. So a couple things. Number one, serve the Lord with joy. Like, this is a big deal. David uh, said, or the psalmist in Psalm 122, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. When you serve the Lord with joy, when it's time to go to church, we're excited about it. It's fun. It's good. Like, let's do this. That's awesome. Well, Pastor Jake, what about when the ducks lose? Are you excited to come to church? No, I don't want to sit around and be miserable with all of you. I'm bummed out too. You know what I mean? (laughs) But I'm glad to be in God's house and my kids need to see that joy. When it's time to serve, when it's time to give, when it's time to lay our lives down, when it's time to go to joy group, there's joy in my serving of the Lord. Amen? Because the gospel saturated my life. Number two, in the area of forgiveness. You know, forgiveness is gospel 101. Jesus said the Father won't forgive us if we don't forgive others. But beyond that, a life of forgiveness that's free from bitterness and and resentment will leave a legacy of faith. See, we got a lot of Christians who are like, I want my kids to have faith in Jesus. 
but I hate my sister because of what she did. And what they see is that the supposed good news of the gospel isn't really that good because it didn't work for you, mom. Didn't work for you, dad. And so if forgiveness is not our daily bread, if we're not like embracing forgiveness, how are we going to invite our children to follow this savior that forgives them and sets them free? My wife's amen to me on the front row. I mean, she's give, she's, I appreciate it, babe. Generosity. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. All my kids, they see us excited to give to God and to, to, his, to the legacy, lo- local, global. We talk about this at home, why we give, why we tithe, why do we do this, why do we honor the Lord with our finances, why are we glad to do it, why is it not a duty but rather a delight, because the gospel has saturated every area of our life. The area of worship, you know, are you a, are you a full-hearted worshiper? Or are you like a half-masked Harry? You know what I'm saying? Like, are you in worship? Are you just like giving the very lukewarm least? Or are you giving God your best? One of my favorite things is to hear the old school preachers when they sing on the front row, I give you glory, God! It's like, man, are you like charging a hill? What's going on right now? But there's a value. And if you come sit by me on the front row, I sing that loud. If I, if, if I usually lose my voice from worship, not preaching. Because... I want, God to, to, I want my worship to be a fire that ignites my children's hearts for God. And if the, if the God that I serve does not light me up, why would it light them up? Does that make sense? That's why, like, my kids will probably be duck fans because they see dad wearing green and acting like a crazy person every Saturday. Well, they better see me wearing, you know, my church clothes and worshiping God on Sunday so the same thing kind of happens, okay? And there's a lot more to it. But I remember hearing my grandfather, Jim Cafaro, my Sicilian grandpa, walk around the house and he would sing in his Frank Sinatra, Tony Bennett style worship to the Lord and he would whistle, uh, you know, kind of absentmindedly old worship songs and hymns and it left a mark on me. Do your children see worship as a part of your life? Last but not least, freedom. Have you let Jesus do his good work in your soul? Have you let him heal your pain, trauma and drama? Have you let him give you rest? Your natural and spiritual children will see his goodness written large on the billboard of your countenance. Serve the Lord with gladness. Like let the freedom that Christ died for you to have get to you and in you and through you and wreak wreak havoc on the darkness in your soul and like heal you and change you and set you free. What would happen if our children saw God wrecking us in the best way? Like he's healing your pain and and healing your, 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 your drama in life and that Jesus is like your friend, your faithful friend and he's a companion and, and that you enjoy your relationship with God and like you're free. What would happen, I know what happens, is that your kids, it's, it's like contagious, it's addictive. Like I want that kind of a relationship with God. And that's the invitation is that Jesus says, come all you who are heavy burdened and I'll give you rest. I, I, he's gonna give you healing for your soul. And if we let the gospel saturate into the deepest parts of our life, then we're going to be living that legacy of faith and for certain leaving that legacy of faith in our natural and spiritual children. Amen. Would you bow your head and close your eyes this morning? We're going to close and we have a cereal bar out there, if you didn't know. Cap'n Crunch and Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Everything has crunch. Fruit Loop Crunch. No, Fruit Loops. 
before we do that, I want to just give an opportunity for anyone that's here today that has not placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ to begin that journey of following him. This is very simple. It's saying I'm going to change the allegiance of my life from my own way, serving my own agenda. I'm going to say, Jesus, I'm following you. I'm trusting in you. God sent Jesus. He died on the cross for your sins. His blood paid for every sin, yours and mine. And he forgives us and he invites us into a relationship with him. And today you can make that decision to, to follow him as Lord and Savior, to receive him as your Lord and Savior. If that's you today, would you just raise your hand so I can see and I'll pray a quick prayer with you and then we'll give you some steps to take. Won't call you out or embarrass you or anything. Thank you so much. Thank you. Come on, anybody in this place, Pastor Jake, I want to follow Jesus. I want to give him my life. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Let's pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I know I have not lived up to your standard. But I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed at the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be right with God. I give you my life, all the good and all the bad. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.